Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I think you could finish this verse with me. We love Him because He first loved us. We've sung about the love of Jesus Christ and the love of God more. And then this morning also, uh, the Scriptures tell us that we should, uh, uh, all men will know that we are His disciples by our love for one another. So I think it would be a good time just to take a minute and we are fellowshipping and worshiping together and continue to share God's love. If we just take a minute and get up and just greet one another and wish each other uh, God blessing this Lord's Day. Come on, let's just greet each other, especially if someone you don't know this morning. Okay, thank you. You can have a seat. It's good to hear your voices uh, sharing with one another. It's good for us to be together and continue to share and think of God's love and how we grow in our love for Him more. I saw a, you know, sometimes you try to pick a sermon title that you think will kind of be a little catchy, catch the interest sometimes. I'm not real good at that. I saw one after I printed the bullet, after the bulletin was printed, that I should have used for today's message. And the title to the passage that we're going to look at this morning in Philippians was, Thanks, Sort of. I don't know if you've ever given a gift that maybe someone didn't actually say that, but you kind of got that impression like, thanks a lot, but I didn't really need this, or, you know, thanks, uh, I can use it. Or, you you know, when you give somebody a gift, you sort of appreciate getting a response from people, don't you? That uh, they appreciate it. And uh, this actually uh, was the title of a section in one of the commentaries for this passage of Scripture. Thanks, sort of. So if you turn to Philippians chapter 4, and it's the epistle by the Apostle Paul written to the church at Philippi, the first church that was founded in Europe when Paul crossed over into Philippi and met the, uh, the, the woman, the ladies down at the place of prayer and then the Philippian jailer and became the nucleus of that, of that early church. And uh, Paul is writing this, we believe, from Rome where he is uh, under arrest. He is in prison. Uh, he's under house arrest, but he is a prisoner and chained uh, with the Roman guard all the time. And this is the context as he comes to the end of this epistle and his closing remarks, which oftentimes in the epistle are very personal, uh, greetings, benediction, personal thoughts to the people. And we're going to look at this this morning. And our topic is still today, stewardship. But let's pray. Lord, as we open your word. Uh, We just pray that you would settle our hearts for a few moments to just uh, think about you, to think about your word and how this this message from you that has been part of the Christian church for over 2,000 years has encouraged people, uh, challenged people, and as we continue to worship, as we have worshiped this morning, that we will continue to worship by considering your word and how it may impact our walk with you this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, and this last section is actually a section in my Bible that has a lot of underlining and so on because there are several parts of this passage that I read quite often when I am busy with people, especially going through difficult circumstances. Um, some, of the, some of the things you probably would recognize uh, from this passage, uh, for example, where Paul says at the end, 
Um, I, and my God, verse 19, will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. In verse 12, where he says, at, at verse 13, I can do all things, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Um, and this passage also is the passage in which um, we have in Philippians chapter 4, where, where Paul tells him, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer, everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So it's a passage of Scripture that I use probably more than any when I'm visiting with people and encouraging them, especially in difficult times. We read this with Steve in the hospital a couple of times, and, and he commented on how meaningful this was, this passage of the, of the peace of God. Um, you know, it's a passage that, that you that it's just we're naturally drawn to. It's in this context of these great teachings and these great encouragements that Paul says in verse 10 to the Philippians, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. At last, you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but have had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. Verse 14, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of, the, of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you only. For when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. And it's, you kind of get the impression when you when you read this, and the reason that someone has titled this, thanks, sort of, it's obviously the people have sent him a financial gift. There are several terms in this passage that are economic terms. Terms that have to do with uh, interest and account and financial giving. They're well understood terms in the Greek world. And he thanks them and he appreciates it. But then he basically says, it's not that I really needed it, but it's going to your account. And for your sake, I am glad you did this. Now, if you gave somebody a gift and you knew they were in need and you gave them a gift and they say, well, thank you, but I really don't need this. You know, it's a little bit awkward, I guess, to say the least, right? And that's why in this passage here, many of the commentators have tried to address this kind of awkwardness about Paul's thanking them, but also letting them know he's okay, I really don't need it, but I thank you for it. It's kind of awkward. And so it's in this context, I'd like us to consider this this morning, and there's several big themes in this passage that we've mentioned already. One of the things that um, one of the, you know, when the, when the English, I have a copy of um, Tyndale's, uh, Coverdale's Bible that was the, really the first English Bible. I got a really nice copy of it at the bookstore in Grand Rapids back there when I was back there last year. And it's the old, old English, you know, the kind that you have to really take time to read because the letters don't exactly look the same, a lot of them, you know. Um, the, the, everything's just a little different, but if you know the passage, you take time. It's not quite like reading a foreign language that can border that in times. But I did notice that as I read that, the chapters are given us, but not the verse breaks. And I reflected back when the Bible was originally written in the Greek manuscript, when Paul wrote the, the epistle of the Philippians, it was a letter. It was a, just like you would write a letter. 
There were no chapter breaks and there were no verse breaks. And um, for our benefit, we have chapter breaks and now we have verse breaks. And we also have captions that are put in there by the various uh, translators and editors. For example, I'm looking at my NIV Bible this morning and I have captions over each major paragraph. The value of that is, if you didn't have any chapter or verse breaks, and I said to you this morning, turn to uh, Philippians and try and find this part where he starts talking about this, it would take us a long time, wouldn't it, to try and find those. So the value in that is it really helps us in our study and our reading and our, and our spending time together. Where it sometimes can cause a little difficulty is sometimes the breaks take us a little bit out of context. And you'll notice... If you have a Bible with headings, you will notice, for example, if you have an NIV Bible, you'll notice in verse 2, it has exhortations. And then in verse 10, it has thanks for their gifts as a heading. And then we go into this next section. The only challenge with that is it kind of makes it sound like, you know, Paul has shifted gears now and is talking about something different. But the key to understanding what comes in chapter 10 really is in the, in the section just before it, and I think particularly the verse just before it is, really should be with this next section because this really is part of the whole concept, the whole framework. And that is verse 9. The Apostle Paul says to them, Whatever you have learned or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. That's a pretty strong encouragement that Paul takes it upon himself to say, as the apostle, the apostle to the Gentile world especially, as I write these to you, I want you to remember that anything that you saw in me, Anything you learned from me, anything you heard from me, and anything you received from me, put it into practice. Put it into practice. How could Paul say that? Well, Paul was given revelation from God directly as an apostle. And he gave that revelation, not only the revelation, but how that revelation affected his lifestyle and how he lived. And because of that, He's not claiming perfection. He, let, he lets us know in his epistles. In fact, Paul says, I am, of all sinners, I am the first in line. I'm the chief because I used to persecute the church. Paul says, I, have a, I was given a thorn in the flesh. I begged God to take it away. He wouldn't take it away. Um, Paul says, you know, at times he says, he talks about his, his inadequacies. But yet, as the apostle of the Gentile world, and the things he was given that he gave to the Philippians. He, he, in a sense, founded that church. He helped, he planted that church. He was part of their lives. He stayed in touch with them. He visited them again. And he gave, he gave them things. He gave them much. And he says, those things that I gave you, put them into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. And I guess as we talk about stewardship this morning, the, the, the key phrase, and this may not be a passage you would always go to, but the key phrase here I want you to think about is in verse, when he comes into verse 10, I want you to connect verse 10 to verse 9. The things that I gave you, I taught you, I shared with you, put them into practice. 
I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So you see, the, the idea here of sharing, the key thought here is that Paul is talking about their sharing, and we, I would like to say the word partnership. It's actually the word for sharing here that is used in various uh, translations that have to do with showing it and sharing it and so on. Is really the root word from koinonia, which you may recognize. We use it a lot in our, in our you know, koinonia camps, koinonia ministries. It has the idea of common or fellowship. And so what we're talking about here is Paul saying, I gave to you, you received it, and now you have given back to me. We are partners in this work. We are sharing together in this great work that God has called us to. And I I think it's important to keep verse 9 connected to verse 10. I gave to you, you have given to me. The awkwardness in this whole section is, is that, that Paul, and, and it is a little bit awkward about the receiving the gift, because frankly, Paul is in need financially. When you're under house arrest in the Roman world in the first century, what that, what that generally meant was, if you could afford to rent an apartment, you could live in your own place. And if you couldn't afford it, then you were off to the Roman prison, which was not a very nice place to be. But if you had money, if you had resources, you could rent your own apartment, but you couldn't work. So somebody else had to help you do this, or else you had to use your savings and anything you had that you could use to rent your own apartment. And if you had your own house apartment under house arrest, you could receive guests. People could come to you. You could write letters and send them out. They could come and bring you gifts. Paul asked for things later on, for parchments and so on. You could have this interaction with people. So Paul's need is actually quite great at this time because he's not doing tent making. He's not getting paid for anything. I'm sure all of his personal expense, personal income and savings are long gone in his itinerant ministry. So he really is dependent on people like the Philippians to send their gifts to help him sustain his life as a prisoner under house arrest. But the awkwardness is that you read in Paul's epistles, he's very, very careful, very careful to make sure that people understand. He says this in several places. I am not doing this for the money. I am not in this work of the gospel for the money. And the reason is, why would he say that? Well, that's because, just like today, there were plenty of what we call charlatans. We know from first century literature that there were those who um, were charlatan philosophers. They would they would speak on the street corners. They would gather a group around them who would come and listen and so forth. And then they would try to get money from them. And uh, there were street preachers. There were those in the gospel ministry. Paul clearly tells us that. They're already in the first century. In the earliest days of the Christian church, there are already those who are in it for the money. And it becomes an issue. And Paul evidently is accused of this. Read between the lines in his epistles. There are those who are accusing him that he's in this for the money, for personal gain. And so Paul is very careful to make sure they understand. He, he is not in this, but he is called by God as an apostle. He is not a charlatan at all. 
and he is not living the passage that, that Mary read to us this morning from 1 Timothy, Paul's very last epistles, his pastoral epistles, where he talks about godliness and contentment is great gain. We brought nothing in this world, we're taking nothing out with us in this world. And so that's the background here, why it is a little awkward, because he's reminding them, as he has been accused, and I'm sure they have heard it, and there may be some in Philippi who believe this, that Paul is in this for the money. But the thought here I want you to think about this morning when it comes to sharing together in the gospel work is this concept of partnership. They are partners together. Paul has given to them, and they have received. Now they have given to Paul, and he has received. And, he, and why, why would he say at the, in this passage here, I'm not saying this in verse 11, because I am in need. Well, he goes on to tell us, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. One of the translations, put rock, I, I've been rock bottom. I've been at rock bottom, and I know that. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well fed or whether I am hungry. I can do it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, when Paul talks about this here, you know, this idea of secret. You know, have you ever asked somebody and they, you, you watch them and they, and they seem to really handle things? They, what, what is your secret? Or maybe it's a skill. They, what, what's your secret? What, what's your secret? What, do you, what, what have you got that I don't understand? And, you know, in this particular case, it actually is the word that was used by some of the mystery cults. When they talked about your initiation into a group, they let you have a secret and you get, you get to come in. But Paul's not using it that way. Paul's secret to contentment is from what? It's from his experience with God. That's his secret. That's his secret. What have you learned from your experience with God? You look back over your life. For those of you that have walked with the Lord for some years, and you look back at all the things that God has brought you through that you never would have anticipated. And what is your secret? What is your? Why are you able to to continue on and, and, to, and to give God thanks. To give God thanks. As Paul says, that we, we, we give God thanks for tribulation, for, for difficulty. What is it? It's because as you go through those, what has God given you? What has God enabled you to experience? What have you learned through these things? What is your secret? Your secret is not some mystery that somebody initiated you in. It's your experience with God. And Paul says, I've, I've learned the secret. I've learned it because I have had absolutely nothing at rock bottom, and I've had plenty more than I need. In fact, Philippians, I've had everything, and I really don't have a need, but I do appreciate your partnership in the gospel, because we are in common. We share a partnership. We share an equality. We share a household. We share a familyness as, as members of the family of God, and I can do it all through him who gives me strength. And so we get back to verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And when he says earlier you didn't have opportunity, we know from Corinthians that the, the Philippians were a very poor group. He, he tells the Corinthians that. When he talks about those in, in uh, Macedonia and Asia Minor who had given to their work, they were a poor people. They were not rich people. 
And, they, and in fact, they didn't have opportunity before to give to, God, to Paul's ministry. But he says, now you have had opportunity. And it was good of you to share in my troubles. It was good for you to do that. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel. So, I mean, you know, to, to say sort of, if it comes across like, thanks, sort of. But this relationship is very deep. This is a, this is a very, very encouraging and personal group of people to the Apostle Paul. Look what he says here. In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared. There's our word that's rooted to koinonia again. Not one church partnered with me, we can say. Not one church. Not one. That even means the maybe the Bereans. You know, the <laughs> church of Berea. The group that he left at Athens, maybe the group at Corinth. He says, not one church partnered with me in the matter of giving and what? Receiving. It's partnership. Except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. In their poverty, they sent money and they sent gifts to Paul to sustain him. Even while he's doing, oops, he's doing tent working. In his ministry, he's working with his own hands, supporting himself, but he's not making enough. You sent aid again and again. Then he comes to verse 17. Not that I am looking for a gift. I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm asking you for more money. I'm asking you for more help. But you, you read this and you can't possibly come away without saying, Philippians, my heart is full of gratitude for you. You stand out in your poverty. You have given again and again and again. I'm not saying this because I want you to keep giving me money. I understand that. But we're talking about partnership in the gospel ministry and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have received full payment. These are economic terms. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 20, verse 17. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment. And even more. What is he talking about? Is he just talking about money here? Aren't we talking about a bigger concept here of serving God, of, of being part of his work? When Paul says, I'm looking to what will be credited to your account. Is he talking about them receiving more money back? He has nothing to give them money-wise. He's talking about a bigger concept here, about their partnership in this important work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of building up believers, of sharing the gospel, of planting churches. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you have sent. It's not thank you, kind of, or sort of, or maybe, but it's thank you, but I want you to understand the big picture and the concept of what we're doing here together. And I really appreciate your gifts because they have, they have amply, I'm okay. And thanks to you, we can continue on this ministry. I can continue renting my own place. I can continue writing letters. I can continue serving others. I received from Epaphroditus who has made the trip from, from you to me and he has brought the, it has to be financial gifts that you have sent. And I want you to notice a change in language here. We're going to change from economic language. And this is economic terms. What may be credited to your account. The investment in the Lord's work. 
the financial gifts that I have received. And I want you to notice the, the change here. The change in language, the change in thought in the middle of this verse 18. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. The language clearly changes from this economic tone to the language of Old Testament sacrifice. The Old Testament sacrifice, where the, where the people had, we talked today about tithing and giving. You know, it's an interesting, you know, I've been asked by people, what, you know, what does the Bible say about tithing? What is the rule about tithing? There is no rule about tithing. We, we live in the dispensation, the age of grace. We are not legalistic. People say that the Old Testament tithe was 10%. Um, uh, yes, but it was more. You read the Old Testament. You read about all the various gifts they brought to sustain the work of the temple. They brought gifts to sustain the work of the priests and the temple. And they brought gifts that were simply gifts that were given to God as sacrifice and, and a pleasing aroma to God. The new wine, the first fruits, the grain, um, you know, the animals, the money gifts. You know, remember when our Lord Jesus Christ's parents came to dedicate Him and it says they brought... They bought the pigeons because there were even tiers of gifts. If you were able to afford this gift, you could bring it. If you were poor like Mary and Joseph, then you brought the, the poor people's gift. It was a lot less money, but you still brought it. I'm thinking about the woman who Jesus watched put the the the, the, you know, the mites, you know, the, some put pennies and coins, um, very whatever it is, a very small amount, and he watched her put it in the temple treasury. Remember that story? We just got done uh, talking about the Pharisees and scribes and their hypocrisy. And then he watched the rich come and put in their money so everybody could see what they're doing and so forth. He watched this lady come and put in her small amount. And what did he say? She has given what? Much more. Why? She gave all that she had. Now that is not that is not a, a, an admonition that from then on everybody should give everything they have that you should give everything you have to the Lord's work and not support your families and so forth. That, that's not the point. The point was in this context, comparing it to this attitude of giving, where you gave out of your extra, where it didn't matter, she gave out of everything. You know, I was, I was thinking about that story. I was reflecting back on all the pictures. And I think of, if, if, you, if you grew up like I did in church with Sunday school pictures, or just think about it, maybe pictures in the Bible or pictures people drawing. Whenever they show that lady, whenever they show that lady at the temple, she always looked like this really old person, right? She looks poor, and she looks kind of like she's cowering, kind of like hope nobody sees what I'm putting in. Right? Am I right? I got to think about that. Who, who decided that? It doesn't say that. This lady might have had the biggest smile on her face. Well, the Bible says the Lord loves what? A cheerful giver. Maybe God motivated her for whatever reason that, that she came in with the greatest joy and the greatest cheerfulness and, and pleasure that she could, it didn't matter what it was, but she could give everything she had to God because she, we just sang about how much we love God and God increased our love. We sang, maybe she, Maybe she came to the temple that day the way you felt after some of the songs we sang today and your heart is open to God. Maybe she was grinning from ear to ear. Right? Some of you paint that picture for me, would you? The artist here? 
I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe it was her temple tax, if you will. They had money they were supposed to bring to the temple. And maybe it was time for her to bring it. And she says, well, you know what? This is what I need to bring. But who knows? Who knows? But the point is, she gave out of her out of her want. And, and the Lord said, she gave much more than anybody. She gave much more than anybody because of her attitude. And it's this language, it's this context. You come in verse 19, verse 18. These gifts, Philippian friends, my brothers and sisters, these gifts you have given are a fragrant offering. They are an acceptable sacrifice. And they are pleasing to God. Those in that congregation that had a Jewish background, like many of them had, they knew exactly who he was talking about. The Old Testament on, on sacrifice, on, on giving and tithing, is really, it's really very simple. Yes, there are the formulas for how much you bring and so forth and so on. But the big picture, and we, and we see this big picture in the prophets, where the prophets uh, challenge Israel because they are no longer bringing in the tithes like they're supposed to to sustain the work of the temple. Or they bring them with the wrong heart. In fact, there are times they bring the sacrifices. And the prophets, read the prophets, read the minor prophets especially. You know what they say? God says, take away your sacrifices. They stink. They're not pleasing to Romans. You, you can't come in here and, and bring a sacrifice while your heart is far from God. And you're worshiping other gods and treating him just like the other gods. And you bring this expensive sacrifice and burn it and bring it to God. And God says, I don't want that sacrifice. It stinks. You bring first what? Come on, you bring first what? Your hearts. You bring your hearts first. Then bring your sacrifice. The sacrifices were to come from people whose hearts were, were hearts that were hearts of faith and love for God. And there's two principles in the Old Testament. Really, there's, there's really two principles in the Old Testament. When it comes to giving, to stewardship, you bring God the first, you bring God the first, and you bring God the best. That's really the principles. You bring God the first, and you bring God the best. You didn't bring the lamb that was going to die anyway. That is not a sacrifice. The word itself means it's something that costs you. Is God needed? Of course not. But if your heart was right with God, you you showed your faith. You know, if you were if you were a Jewish person in the Old Testament era under the law, you, you couldn't say, Yes, I love God, yes, I have faith in God, yes, I my heart's close to God, but I'm not going to practice the law. No, because if your heart was close to God and you love God and you trusted him, you would bring the sacrifice out of faith. It was a response of your faith. You would bring the sacrifice. And you brought to God the first fruits. The first fruit. I don't know about you, but as I walk around our neighborhood this year, I, I just I, I'm not a I'm not an agriculturalist, but something about the crops this year in the city. I mean this tree is just these little trees, little apple trees about this big, just loaded with apples. Pear trees in our neighborhood, just loaded with pears. I can't believe it. I don't know what it was some of the climate the last couple of years. This has been a great year for, I mean, last week there were like 10,000 plums out there, right? It all came from one tree. 
What's your secret, Dale? Where are you? What is your, where have you learned the secret of, I mean, I've never said, that's one tree. But you bring the first fruits. I know some of you I know grew up on farms. I did not. I grew up in Benny Ridge area, okay? Um, where I still live. I've, I've never lived in a farm, but some of you grew up in farms and, and you know what, you know what, I know from you what you've told me. And you know how, number one, how hard work it is. And number two, how you depend on those crops for your livelihood. And if you depend on those crops for your livelihood and you get those first fruits, you bring those to God. Why? It is a tremendous act of faith. You may not get any more fruit. Climate and everything else in the Middle East, you may not get much more. But you brought the first fruit to God as a sacrifice that God gets the first because you trusted that God was going to bless you and He was going to provide what was needed. It will come. It will come. And you brought God the best because He is God. We bring to God this, this morning our, our best worship. We're not professional singers. Kevin is not a worship leader. Okay? <laughs> As he tried to look, pretend he was there. These guys are good. <laughs> I appreciate what they do. They're volunteering. And we bring our best to God. We, we do our best. They don't get up here and just throw it together and hope it works. We bring our best to God. We bring our best to God. Why? Because He's God. He's God. Amen. Amen is right. God gets the first and God gets the best. And that's the New Testament principle as well. You know what Paul told the Corinthians? Lay aside what? When you come together the first day of the week, set aside your gifts. I am coming. And I am going to collect those gifts. And I am taking them to Jerusalem for the poor saints there. But they were to get in the habit of bringing their gifts each, not to wait. And, and, and I know from experience, and, and, I'll, and I'll be honest with you, I'll be honest with you, in my family, it's my wife who, who was the one who was much more disciplined about this early on in our marriage than I was. That, that, that we set aside first for God. Because you know what? If you wait to give God what's left over, come on, some of you've been around for a while, what's left over? Nothing. We all know that. No matter how much you get, or how little you get, this is the same principle. We bring to God first, not what's left over. And we bring to God of the best, not what's left over. Those are really the two principles. The idea of 10% has kind of stuck. People ask for a good rule of thumb. Yes, that's a good rule of thumb. It goes back to Abraham and, and Melchizedek. He brought a tenth of everything. But the, but the point is in stewardship, it's not legalistic. It's the heart attitude. Now listen, let me wrap up. The, here's the key to this passage. Here's the key to this passage. The key to giving and receiving Remember, we're talking about both. I am recipient. You know, Kevin and I, Pastor Gary's gone today. We, Susie, we work full time at this church. Much of your giving goes to support us. I'm, I'm well aware of that. 
And it's a tremendous stewardship and responsibility. We will set a goal this year, I think, for 130000 Nancy. What's our mission goal going to be? $130,000, which is $125,000. means about every six years, we give a million dollars to foreign mission work and home missions. About every six years, we're giving a million dollars to missionary work. We believe strongly in that. Here's the key. Here's the key to this. We are in partnership together. We are in partnership together. And the key is verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to what? His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The key to this whole concept of what we are about as a Christian church, why we give a million dollars every six years to missions, why we support the work here, why we provide the resources to have youth ministries and children's ministries and outreach ministries and support local ministries in our community, why we do that is because we are in partnership. It is not a greater to a lesser. It is not because we are in a greater position and someone's in a lesser position. It's because God is in the greater position. God is the one who has all the riches and glory. And for those who preach the health, wealth, gospel, to think it has to do with the fact that God is obligated to make us rich and healthy, that is such a small gospel. It couldn't be any smaller, friends. That is a small gospel. The rich gospel is that by the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary, Sinners like me were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, the riches of God who created this universe, and we are just touching the surface of beginning to understand the riches of this universe and of our world. That is the God who provides everything that we need. And we are in partnership together. As we bring our gifts and offerings, and we support our brothers and sisters around the world. We saw, Teresa saw this morning the, the, the work in Southeast Asia, our missionaries that are launching out, had a dedication service, and going to Myanmar. Brand new work. We met this couple when we were in Southeast Asia. That, that this, this couple that has sacrificed from the Philippines so much. So much they've sacrificed. They could be living a very comfortable life in the Philippines, in Manila. And, and they've sacrificed, and they are going to Myanmar. Our brother Kennedy saw this week, Kennedy Simcoe. He's, he's going to Mozambique to start new churches, plant new churches. Kemper's grand, granddaughter and her husband, granddaughter Naomi, they, they've headed off to Tanzania, and they're there. Young couple. And they're there with the Shermans. Brand new work in a brand new city. And we are supporting these people. Why? Because we are partners together. It is not because they have need and we have extra or we have extra and they have. It's because we are in partnership together in God's work. And my, as I close this message this morning, my message is simply this. It's because God 
in His riches of glory in Christ Jesus can provide everything that we need. Do you understand that? What we need. And because we are in the partnership of giving and receiving, we are equal partners, we come as a people of God today and we give to the Lord and to His work. Why? Because we love Him who first month loved us. And I just want you to know, friends, I, I'm thankful. Number one, I'm thankful for this congregation and your sacrificial giving. If, you're, if you happen to be here today and you're visiting with us, and you might think, ah, those churches, that's all they talk about is money. Um, you can ask anybody here how many sermons I've given on giving this year. Okay? We don't. Because there's a spirit in this congregation of sacrificial giving. And I just, I want to thank you for that. We're coming to the end of our year, and I want to thank you for that. Because it's a sign of a healthy congregation that you're willing to, to give and support God's work. And I want to encourage you, especially those of you who have families, have children right now, I want to remind you, you, you are setting an example for them. Your, your children should know, your young people should know, that your participation, your partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ is important to your family. Don't be afraid to let them know that. And the third thing I want you to know is that I, I am so thankful for the leaders in this church. We have some here today who were staff here when, when I was a kid, when I was a young people. But the leadership in this church I just want you to know they are very careful. And when they, when they, when they ask you and, and suggest that that money goes where we, we say it's going to go, our books are open. And I just want you to know that, that we are partners together with you. And we are here, all of us, because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are just, I don't know about you, but if you ever stand back and just stop and think, God has entrusted us with His work. Wow. What a blessing. And from the bottom of my heart as your pastor, I thank you that we have been able, we have not cut back on any ministries because we are able to move ahead. And I know some of you, that you are given a lot. You're sacrificing a lot. God bless you. We are moving ahead to what God has called us to, and we will not back down. We won't back down. We are going to move ahead in the year to come, and I invite you to partner with us and to partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to pray, to give, to encourage, and to be a part of this great work, because He has all the riches and glory to sustain anything that we need, that we can give to God the first and the best. Let's pray together. Father, we are we just humbled today. We think of our brothers and sisters around the world, all over this globe, the missionaries and the works that our church supports, those that individuals here support. Think about the Jews for Jesus letter I got this week, Lord, and the work that they are doing, and just so many different groups. And Lord, it just humbles us to think that, that we are partners with them. We are co-equals. 
Join heirs with Jesus Christ. And what a privilege to be a part of your ministry. What a privilege to pray for them, to pray for one another. What a privilege it is to be part of your family. And Father, we, we pray that we will just have an awareness of the riches of your glory, that you can sustain all of our needs. And that means, Lord, that you will equip us to deal with all the challenges and hardships that come our way. That is part of your providing our needs. And Father, we just humbly thank you today that we can bring our hearts to you first. You don't need our gifts, but you've asked us to bring them. But we bring our hearts to you first. We have sung today that we love you, that you are beautiful, you are a sweet song, you are worthy of our praise, you are holy. You are the God of love. And we just want you to know today, Lord, we believe this. And we mean it. And we just trust you that the ministries that you entrust to us in the months ahead will bring tremendous fruit for your name and for your glory because we love you. And in Christ's beautiful, precious, wonderful name, Jesus Christ, our Savior, we leave this place today. Amen.